Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be in Galatians 5, starting with verse 22, and the last time we finished up with the works of the flesh. There were dozens of works of the flesh that we covered, and the best way to describe that is, you know, even as Christians, we still have, unfortunately, an old nature that we have to deal with, sinful nature, uh, and there's things that we do that gratify the flesh, the, you know, the soma, the body part of us, and uh, you could say that they're pre, everybody has a predilection or a predisposition or an affinity towards some of these works of the flesh. I might have one or two of them. You might have one or two of them that I don't have, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not a good thing, okay? Today we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit, so it's going to be a more uplifting message. The fruit of the Spirit. It's purposely called fruit because like a fruit tree in a believer's life, there is this fruit that's exhibited, Okay? And we're going to go over that fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, even though we might not, on some days we don't necessarily see it, God is still doing a work in us, okay? We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So sometimes when we're really on our game and we're really doing right, people can see the fruit of the Spirit in us. But other times, maybe not so much, but it's still working behind the scenes. Uh, and, and that's really a blessing because, you know, it's something to really look forward to. But... I guess the best way to explain it to a technological savvy generation is if you have a smartphone, you have apps on your phone, and you could be using them. They're in the forefront, and you can enjoy using them, but maybe you move to something else. The app is still running in the background. It's still using up energy. It's still doing things, and I have to be honest with you. I was the, a holdout from a flip phone for so long. And recently, I actually got myself a smartphone. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm starting to understand the lingo, you know what I'm saying? But I have to tell you, I have resisted the urge, and I have not taken one selfie yet. So just tell, just saying. <laughs> okay? Let's not confuse this with necessarily being in the spirit or being in the flesh. We're going to look at how all these things come together, but whether, like, if I'm in the spirit or in the flesh... It's really a dynamic expression of where I am at any snapshot in time. So hopefully this morning I'm in the spirit and I'm giving you a good message, but maybe if I don't sleep well tonight, tomorrow morning I wake up cranky, I'll probably be in the flesh if that happens. And we go through this as believers. We're not, you know, we're, we're still stuck with these sinful bodies and unfortunately sometimes it dictates things to us. But let's jump in and see if we can get encouraged by this. Let's start with... Verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Interesting wording that he uses, but... We have to ask the question, what's the difference between a work and a fruit? Well, let's start with a work. Okay, the Greek word for work is ergon, where we get in physics, erg. 
<laughs> a lot of our words come from the Koine Greek, but an erg is basically a unit of work or a unit of energy. All right? In a spiritual sense, it's a self-effort. In addition, there are those that maybe are very accomplished in the world, maybe CEOs, managers, business owners, and at times, sometimes they come into the church and they can't resist the urge to try to change things based on their accomplishments in the world. And then what happens is the people in the church get, they look at the church and they go, wow, this place is like a corporation. And I've heard that before, and that's not a, it's not a nice thing to say, but it sometimes happens. I mean, we make mistakes. And I got to tell you that people love to hear the messages, but they also like to see when we make mistakes. And, and I say this in a good way, and I've had people say to me, um, it shows me that you're human like me. So this isn't a corporation. This isn't corporate chapel. This is Calvary Chapel. So we, we bring ourselves into the church as sinners, but we really try to let God do the work instead of becoming so tight and pedantic and running the church like a corporation. So it's very interesting. Uh, the second point is fruit. So it's a work of the flesh. Now we go to a fruit of the Spirit. With a fruit, God does the work. So we don't do the work. So it's not a work for, on our part, but it is on God's part. Just like at the cross, for my salvation, I believed, I trusted, I had faith. That wasn't a work. But the work is what Jesus did on the cross. He said, it is finished, Father. He, he did the job so that my sins would be, would be paid for. So in the same sense, God does the work of bearing fruit in our lives, but to us it's not a work. It's a desire to daily walk in the Spirit. It's pretty neat. And based on a, our desire for Him and a willingness to be used by Him, we naturally produce the spiritual fruit without striving or self-effort. And what happens is this becomes our identity or they become characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Okay, those nine characteristics. And I have to tell you that today everybody's searching for identity. You look on the news and, you know, people don't even know what their identities are. Sometimes their identities change. But this is an awesome thing when you're a believer in Christ. Now you, you become secure in yourself because you know who you are. You know who you belong to. It all starts to make sense. Um, when I was young, I went through different identities, I suppose, and uh, so glad there was no social media back then. <laughs> but in my 40s, I'm really happy where I am, and, you know, I'd like to go back there for the aches and pains as far as the, the, the youth, but I certainly wouldn't want to go back to do that all over again. This is a good place. So identity is important. As Christians, we're not perfect. We're going to have those mountaintop and valley experiences, and I want to encourage you, when we get to, in a few Wednesdays, I'm going to announce it, I'm going through First Kings, and we're in the topic of the prophet Elijah, who's an awesome prophet. He called down fire from heaven. I mean, everybody knows who Elijah is. He's so awesome. But he had these mountaintop and valley experiences, and when he was on the mountaintop, God did this great work through him, and he called down fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, and you know, he, Elijah was definitely in the spirit. He was definitely in the right place, but when he cut down from the mountain, literally, and he found out that the queen sent a threatening message to him that she was going to have him killed, he panicked. He, he ran in fear. The same guy was up on the mountaintop. And he became very negative, And his demeanor changed. So you can see the difference in experiences with, 
with this great prophet that most people admire. So a lot of things come into play. Works of the, f- the flesh, which we covered, the fruit of the Spirit, being in the flesh or being in the Spirit at any given moment, having a mountaintop or a valley experience, okay, and also what I would call Venn diagram crossovers. I'm bringing you back to grade school mathematics, the two circles that kind of... So you see some crossover in this, and I, I think it's really enjoyable because what good am I doing up here if I'm not teaching you through the Bible how to live a da- run your daily lives, right? I mean, it's all in here. It makes sense. It helps us to be edified. So let's look at this, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there's nine characteristics. Some say, number one, that there's nine fruits. Well, the word fruit is singular in the Greek. Others say it's really just love, but the other eight are supportive. And others, which I think is the best explanation, is that it's ninefold. It's multifaceted. There's nine facets to the fruit of the Spirit, nine sides, nine angles, nine layers. The fruit of the Spirit is different from the gifts of the Spirit in that we get these gifts of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit distributes severally as He wills, as He chooses, as He sovereignly chooses. Okay? So in other words, let's say I'm an evangelist. It's effortless. I go out on the street, I evangelize. You're a teacher. You heal. You're an administrator. And you get to really claim that for yourself and use it to God's glory. It's enjoyable. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the spiritual abilities that God gives us because the fruit of the Spirit is for everyone. Me, you, you up there in the balcony, we all get to have these nine faceted, fold fruit of the Spirit. And maybe today you came in and you're having a, a, a rough day. But if you really are Christ, remember that app is working in the background. He's still working to produce fruit in your life. So let's go through these. Well, let me back up for one more second. Is that that's not an excuse, though, what I just said. Because what we should see, and maybe those of us that are hard on ourselves, okay, others should see that this is a thread woven through the fabric of our lives. Oh, yeah. You know, you see that that one colored sweater, and then there's a, you see these, fancy clothes, and there's like a, a sparkly one that runs through it. That should be the fruit of the Spirit. So it's in, it's in the front, it's in the background, but it's always there. It should be woven through the fabric of our lives. So let's jump in. Love. Love is a hard thing to explain to 21st century American Northeast culture because it's been abused. See, the Greeks used four words for loves, and I submit that they probably had a better, the right idea where we just say love. Can I tell you something? I love chocolate. But chocolate gives me migraines, so I have to really be... But I love my wife more than I love chocolate, and if I had to choose between the two, chocolate would have to go. So there's different types of love. The Greeks used four words. One was storgi, which is more family love, and another one was phileo, which is more of a deep friendship, and the other one was eros, which is a sexual love, where we get the word erotic from eros, and then there's agape, agape, which is that really the highest order of love. And there is some crossover between, I know a Greek scholar will say, there is crossover between agape and phileo, I get that. But for the most part, agape is that selfless, sacrificial love. So we have that. Do we see agape love when we hear and see love in the movie theaters and on social media? Very rarely, very rarely. You know, 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. God is the embodiment of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, which we covered, agape love is patient, it's kind, it's, 
It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not prideful. It's not rude. It's not selfish. It doesn't provoke. It thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in sin, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. We've covered that. Pretty tall order. Put your name in there. You know, Joe is never rude. <laughs> Joe is never selfish. Joe is... It's tough. It's a, it's a tall order. But when we're in the Spirit, we can, we can do it. You know, but we have to ask for God to have first place in our lives to, you know, for us to follow His lead. It's very important. Now, at times, I'm going to ask the question... And it's going to be an introspective question. Where do we sit with these things? Sometimes I'm going to use antonyms or opposites to really make the point here. Because this is an introspective litmus test to see where we are. And is our life reflective of these things? Are we producing fruit like John 15 speaks about? Or are we just, you know, are we walking the talk? Or are we just talking big? You know, will we act one way with... Those are associates that are unsaved, and then when we're with Christian friends, we put on a different show. Let's look at this. So let me ask you a question. You can call out. What is the opposite of love? Oh, I set you up for that one. I really set you up for that one. You're like, we're not, we're not going to call out again then. Fine. But hate's an easy one because in this room, I'm not a hater. Most of you probably would admit I'm not a hater. So that's an easy one. So I'm, I embody love. Well, not necessarily. Think about this. The opposite of sacrificial love is selfishness. I had a debate with a pastor friend of mine, and he said, I tell my congregation, the opposite of love is lust. I said, ah, but lust has its roots in selfishness. I want to be gratified. I don't really care about anybody else or anything, but this is what I want. So selfishness, I submit to you, now when we look at ourselves, I'm not a hater, but am I selfish at times? We can be. We absolutely, I'll say, I'll be the first one to say, we definitely can be. And I got to tell you, Christians who are always about themselves and, you know, selfish are, they're ugly Christians. You know, selfishness is not a nice garment to wear. It doesn't flatter us. It doesn't make us look good. Then there's different types of love, like bartering love. So I, I, do, uh, I do something for Terry this week, and, and it's all good. You know, I put my heart into it, and he's very pleased. And then when I'm done, I say to him, you know, in a month, I might need a favor. So just make sure, you know, now that it's done, and I did it, I didn't charge you, hook me up, do me a solid in a month. I'm, I, something's around the corner. And I can tell you, that's, that's called bartering love. <laughs> you know, you give me a cow, I'll give you my pig. Um, that's not sacrificial love. Sacrificial love does it, and it le- and lets it go, Okay. So do we display sacrificial love to others? Or are we characterized more by selfishness? Which would be the opposite of agape love. Two, joy. Synonym. Cheerful, delight. That type of person that brightens the day of those around them, especially at a stressful job. And, and I'm going to bring up the job because some of us are in fields that are very stressful. And sometimes we use it as an excuse to have a certain attitude but not according to the scripture, right? It's another hard concept to understand because a lot of people equate joy with happiness. I actually went on a website, purposely not a Christian website. It's called diffin.com, and basically you can put two things in there, and it'll tell you the difference between those two things. So I put happiness and joy. 
Check it out. This is not a Christian website, but it could come from the Scripture when you read it. Happiness, it's an emotion. Joy is stronger, less common than happiness. Happiness causes, right? Causes of it. Earthly experiences, material objects. Joy, spiritual experiences, caring for others, gratitude, thankfulness. Happiness, it's an emotion. An outward feeling of elation, joy, inward peace, and contentment. Time frame happiness, temporary, based on outward circumstances. Joy, lasting, based on inward circumstances. Life, happiness. Happiness can be experienced from any good activity, food, or company. I love that food. You know, going back to the brain uh, sermon, the neurotransmitters, food actually elicits a serotonin response. So we, people can get addicted. You know, it's true. Sometimes we eat more when we're depressed or upset because it, we just know that it's some, somewhere in there we know it's going to give us that response. Joy, on the other hand, is a byproduct of a moral lifestyle, not a Christian website. Pretty fantastic, isn't it? So joy. Do we have joy? Someone exhibiting the opposite would be considered what we would say miserable. Nobody wants to be around that miserable person, maybe at work. But that person is the most in need of Jesus. Are we joyful? Because joy doesn't come from worldly things. Its foundation is in God. Three, peace, tranquility, serenity. Ah, even those words are nice, you know what I'm saying? We get to drop our trapezius muscles when we say those words. In Romans 5, it tells us that due to Jesus' death on the cross, there's a ceasefire, so to speak, a truce between a holy and righteous God and sinners. And God can't coexist with sinners for eternity, and they can't be in his presence because he's holy and righteous. So there's a dilemma. But Jesus fixed that by taking the penalty for our sins, dying on the cross for our sins. Um, it's a pretty amazing thing. So now, and it's sad that there's some that go around and they don't believe or trust in Jesus and they believe they have this relationship with God and they really don't. It's a false foundation. Only Christ can pay that penalty and bridge the gap between a holy and righteous God and sinful human beings. Antonyms to peace, fearful, anxious, war, conflict, distress. Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In other words, this makes no earthly or no logical sense. Again, peace in the world is the absence of conflict. Peace in the scripture is there could be conflict on the external, but the internal, it doesn't matter. It's not affected by the external. So what we find is that God's love Pastor Paul said last Sunday, it's, it's scandalous, it's radical. Uh, when we start reading the scripture, it's something we've never seen before because it's so different than the way people exhibit love, so to speak. So joy and peace are interesting for a few reasons. Number one, joy and peace go together. Two, they're coveted by the world. Much of the world tries to find these things, but they try to find it without God. You know, many are trying to find their peace in the externals. And I'll use the word another. Another vacation, another car, another house, another job, another relationship. You know, person that bounces from, you know, relationship to relationship to relationship. 
there's a root that's not being dealt with. And then when that relationship, those endorphins and those feelings start to wear off, they have to move on to another relationship, and it's sad because the problem is not on the outside, it's on the inside. These things are all temporary. Only God can bring a joy and a peace that provides inner sufficiency and tranquility not affected by outward circumstances. Are we at peace? Do you want that peace? God gives that peace freely to his children. And I just want to encourage you, you might be a Christian who's struggling with that specific issue and say, you know what, I don't have peace. I know I'm saved, but I don't have peace. You know what, really get into your prayer closet with God and ask him, I, I'm lacking this, Lord. I, you know, peace is, is in, in our culture, everything is so stressed and hurried. Sometimes it's one of the first things that escapes, you know, so it's something that God says to ask. And these are good things that he wants to give his children. Four, long-suffering, patience, forbearance, endurance without quitting, able to bear adversity. This is something that's very important for those that are considering ministry or are in ministry. That forbearance, that endurance. You know, I mean, it's heartbreaking, and you can ask anybody who's been in ministry for a while, especially when you try to help people and you show them the right way, and they choose to stay in dysfunction and they, they hurt themselves. And you watch them hurt themselves, and you watch them make poor choices. Over the years, it gets, it gets difficult. It really does, because you become personally invested in people. And, you know, there's, the, there's a right way, and a lot of people don't want to give up their self-directed lives to follow the Lord. And the results are sometimes tragic. The antonym to long-suffering is to be hurried, to be impatient, Instant gratification, complaining. Are we quitters or are we long-suffering? And when we have these characteristics, do we want to pass them on? Because we're called to be a wellspring and an overflow. And I've heard the expression that when you serve, like you want to serve the Lord, that should be of an overflow of the Holy Spirit. So others can be affected as well. Imagine a children's ministry teacher who's grumbly and mean to the kids yeah. <laughs> and the kids come up oh, I don't want to go back there they're terrified that's a person who probably shouldn't be serving because there's not that overflow there's not that patience that's there okay um, you know this is again it's sacrificial love it's not just for us to hoard but it's for us to bless others with five kindness to be gracious to be compassionate Jesus' example with sinners and also the vulnerable of society. You know, you can see he's the Lord of lords and King of kings. And in Revelation 19, he comes down out of heaven on a white horse with a sword that proceeds from his mouth and he smites the nation and he goes into the battle of Armageddon. That same Jesus was tender and gentle with the most vulnerable of society. Pretty impressive. The opposite of kind is cruel, nasty, mean. Are we kind? You know? Listen, in one sense, when people criticize us, you know, don't let it affect you, your identity, et cetera. But I was always taught in ministry, at least take, see if you can take a percentage of that and you're hearing it a lot, apply it to yourself and see how you can make changes. So it, there's nothing wrong with changing for the better. Um, and sometimes I found in my life that critics, I have taken some of that and you know what, it's made me a better person. So 
secure people can do that, um, but still not fall apart under the criticism. Six, goodness, virtue, to be generous. You know, we can hoard things in life, and this is, this is one where we really should look at being a wellspring, because we can hoard, right, our time, our money, our mental energy, our service, or we can overflow and give to others. And I've said this before, I say it humorously, my wife will amen me, she's, she's, she's you know, she knows back in the day I was a stingy person. Um, and I tell you what, God freed me from that, and it's like, if you really need my help, I'll help you. Uh, but um, it it's, feels good, it really does. You know, stinginess, like Ecclesiastes says, always grasping. It's like grasping for the wind. You just, you, how do you grasp the wind? You can't hold on to it. Um, so generosity is an awesome thing. Um, Love and, it's love and action. The opposite of goodness is to be evil, wicked, perverse. As the expression goes, some have difficult things happen to them and they want to watch the world burn and others want to save the world. Of course, we know only Jesus can save the world, but which category do we fit into? Well, I got hurt, so I'm going to pass it all. And people do that. I don't care. You know, I'm, no, no one's ever been good to me. You know, always, people are always trying to stick me. You know, you hear that, and then they, they have that attitude towards others. Well, they did that to Jesus, but he, he loved them. You know, he was on the cross, and imagine the pain and torture he felt, and he said, Lord, don't hold this to their account. While they were actively mocking him while he was dying slowly. Yeah, Jesus is a high bar. I understand that, but do we display goodness? And again, we look at this checklist like with the, fruit, with the works of the flesh. Where do I fit in with the fruit of the Spirit? Seven, faithfulness. Okay, that also can mean synonyms loyal. Fidelity. The Marines have a motto, Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful, always loyal. Always loyal to the core. Go take that peach. beach. Yes, sir. Doesn't matter what country it's in. We're going to send you there. You're going to take that beach. Yes, sir. Always faithful, always loyal. They can be counted on. You know? It's an admirable characteristics in the Marines, but they didn't come up with it. God did. <laughs> so I'm sure, listen, you, you'd be surprised. You look at Harvard, you look at some branches of the military, you go back, oh, 100 or so years, you find out that they were largely Christian organizations. I mean, some of the mottos have been scrubbed from these Ivy League colleges. So sad. They're etched in marble and they cover it up with plaster. They... They um, remove it from their motto and they put out new letterhead and change everything because they're trying to sanitize God from everything in public life, public and private life. But uh, you don't be surprised that some of these mottos come from Christian themes. And every once in a while I'll go through some of them. The opposite of loyal, faithful is faithless, unbelieving, untrustworthy, unreliable, or disloyal. You know, as Christians, we shouldn't be unreliable. Let me give a little piece of advice. Sometimes Christians feel like they have to do everything that they're asked to do. They have to say yes to everything. And then when when the time comes, they're stressed out and they don't want to commit. And they, you know, weird things happen. I would just say, think about when someone asks you to do something. You know, just take a second. Don't always say yes. Don't always commit. Because it's actually worse to commit to something and not follow through. Uh, actually, it's in Ecclesiastes, even when it comes to God, to it's better to not promise God anything than to promise God something and then fail in that promise later on. And we can do that in our personal lives as well. So 
unreliable shouldn't be said of us. Can we be counted on, even of those that serve in the church, whichever church, or serve in a ministry? Sometimes the attitude is, well, you know, I, I want to get a promotion at work, so I'll make sure I'm on time. I make sure I produce. I make sure I this. I make sure I that. And then when it comes to serving God, people are late. They're sloppy. They're lazy. They're no-shows. Don't call. Do we give God less than we would give our, our earthly employers? Hopefully not. Right? It's an introspective check. Eight, gentleness, meekness. Well, of course, the Lord Jesus comes to mind. Something else that came to mind right away was my wife for the last few months have been taking care of rescue horses. You know, they've been sad things. They've been through races and abuse and stuff. And, um, and then she, she gets them, and they have behavioral problems and stuff because they've been, you know, horses are amazing, though. So there was this one horse out of like 16 or 17, and he was the alpha male. Somebody called him Batman. He's a big dude, <laughs> this horse. He's an 1,100-pound standard bred. And I said, you know, I want to I befriend him. So, of course, I worked my way into his heart with food, you know, carrots and apples. He's a, he's a horse after my own heart. But, uh, <laughs> and then I decided I'm going to get into the paddock with him. Boy, it wasn't until I was shoulder to shoulder with this horse. It's just a mountain of muscle. It's just all solid muscle. Their heads, their necks, their shoulders. It's just an awesome thing when I'm in the paddock with these horses. And you've got to be a little hypervigilant because sometimes there's issues between the horses and you don't want to get in the middle of that. But Batman could, uh, with one kick, he could send me sailing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but, but when you approach him, you build a bond and, and a relationship. And he's, he's that, what I would call in this instance, this characteristic, he's power under control. And he knows he could have his way with me. He knows he could hurt me. But they're so gentle. Um, I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to look at. So gentleness, meekness. Uh, the opposite is harsh, rough, abusive. Do we display gentleness? Are we rough with others? Well, Pastor Joe, I never laid my hands on anybody. What about with words? You know, sometimes our, our words can cut like a sword. I tell you what, when you do marital counseling, you see, this, you see the swords come out. And it's like, not here. You know, it's, don't do that here. You know, this is, we're trying to bring, bring you guys together. So it doesn't have to be with, with actions. It can be with words. Self-control. Number nine, temperance. Again, not jumping on every temptation or every urge. Uh, the opposite of this is impulsive, rash, unstable, chaotic. Do we have control over our emotions? Yeah. I look at some of these debates, um, political debates, whatever, debates at college, and, and people seem to think that if they get all upset and they start get crying, and that it's going to make their case better, and some fall for it. It doesn't. It doesn't. And listen, we, we have emotions. I have emotions. But there's times that we have to put those emotions aside and do what's right. We can't be the type of person where our emotions run our lives, you know? Self-control is very important. How many times have we, and I can raise my hand, have gotten upset or mad at something, and then the next day you feel stupid about it? Like, oh, I can't believe I let that get the best of me. That's a perfect example, self-control, you know? And again, what, what is, what does Christianity look like? What does Christianity not look like? And 
verse 23, he says, against such there is no law. So let's go back to the context of the message. The message was that the Galatians were legalistic and they were trying to get other people to be legalistic. It was, it was devoid of the spirit and uh, it was a, nobody would want to come into that church. Uh, just as bad as 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian church. And what he's saying is, if you display these, you don't have an issue with the law anymore. And there's a lot more to the, this, this phrase, but basically, if you're displaying, if you're exhibiting these, if you're loving God, if you're loving your neighbor, you're not breaking any laws. Pretty amazing. So to the legalists, to the Galatians, you guys are f- fighting so hard for this, but if you just let God do the work in your life and exhibit these things, you, you won't have to be pointing at each other and, and competing with each other, Okay? And these are the two commandments that Jesus gave. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Now, when we go through this, we have to ask ourselves, how much fruit is on my spiritual tree? Verse 24, he says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This doesn't mean that we don't have passions and desires. I'm a very passionate person. Um, but what it means is to have passion for the right things. You see what I'm saying? And I have to tell you, as a Christian, and even in, in ministry, yeah, there's, there's sad times where you see people that hurt themselves. We talked about that. But there's also really great times. And I've never laughed so hard. I've never had so much fun than being in ministry. And sometimes when we're, we, we go to prayer, my, my pastors, elders, whoever wants to come in, and we're done with prayer and we're just chatting. We, we laugh so hard, you, you can hear us through the doorway. You know, same thing with the ushers. The ushers, they have a, it's all good, clean fun. And that's a great thing. That's a passionate, it's a fun, it's, a, it's expressive. I was a, I have to say, before I was a Christian, I was a miserable person. I really was. I had my, we're not going to get into it too deep here, but um, joy, peace, it all came with, with the Lord. I mean, you, it's up to you, though. You've got to want it. You've got to desire it. And it says we need to crucify our flesh. Um, when I was growing up, I used to watch a lot of horror movies, you know, and, and you'd try to kill the bad guy, and, and you'd, you know, they'd shoot him, and he'd get up, and you'd think he went down with the car in the lake, and he gets back out, and, and you had, then you have nightmares, and you wonder, well, why am I having a nightmare? Of course. But, so the flesh is like that. You know, we have to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And we're going to have to unfortunately do that the whole time we're on this earth. But the good news is when Jesus restores all things, it won't be an issue anymore. Right? It won't be that dual nature. But it, it is. It's like one of those bad guys like Freddy in, in the horror movies. You know, you just can't kill him. He just keeps getting up, but you've got to keep trying. You know, hold him down. Lock him in the basement. You know what I'm saying? Barricade him in there. Verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, we should also walk in the Spirit. In other words, we should make it a lifestyle. Not just when we come to church not just when we get together with our Christian cliques, you know, or our, we get to get a hold of our Christian friends we went to college with. It should be a lifestyle. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it means we should make every attempt. Verse 6, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This seems out of place here. He just got done speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. Why would he say something like this? Remember the context of the Galatian church. You know, it, it's, they became so religious. They became so adherent to their religion, their rites and rituals, that they 
by their will, they were doing more in the flesh and they weren't allowing God to work through them. So what happens, and you've seen it, I've seen it, you know, if you've been, been around, you, you can go to a church or run into churchy people and they are conceited, vainglory. I'm a better Christian than you. That's the attitude, you know? I mean, I would never say that because I have to repent every day. And when I never have to repent anymore, then maybe I'll say that, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. I'm being facetious. But that's the attitude, conceit. And then provoking one another, challenging, irritating. I'm a better Christian than you, so dot, dot, dot. Why are you doing this? What's your excuse? Pick, 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 pick. You, you avoid that type of person because they're always picking at you. They're provoking you. And this happened in the, in the Galatian church. And it happens in churches all over the world today, unfortunately. Envying, which is a work of the flesh. So we start comparing each other. And like I said, um, with the works of the flesh, you might be accomplished and then see somebody who maybe doesn't have your education or your skill level, and God is using them in a mighty way, and you start to get envious. Well, I worked hard to get this, and, and this, is, this is not supposed to be in the church. I rejoice in what others are doing. I rejoice in the diversity of gifts that that go on in this particular church. Uh, I've got to be honest with you, there are some sour, snotty, self-righteous, Galatian-type Christians that almost caused my wife and I to walk away in the beginning. But we knew by the Spirit, we came to the conclusion that that did not represent Christ. It did not re represent Him, and you have to see the same thing. I want to, and, and again, it's this, I'll go back to the horses again. You go to any paddock, where horses are confined, and they'll be, you put strange horses, they don't know each other all in, there becomes interesting uh, gyrations, don't get in there with them the first day. What they'll do is they'll, they'll strive for dominance, and there'll be a pecking order, and one horse will emerge as the alpha, and the rest follow, you know, wolf pack, same thing. But we're human beings. We shouldn't be acting like animals, you know what I'm saying? So in the church, there should not be a pecking order. There should not be a social class, okay? But you go to some places and you'll find this. It's not right. So I'm going to end this with uh, Warren Wearsby, who I think does an awesome job of closing this up. So I'm going to let him do it. In his book, Be Free, about the Galatian church, or the Galatian letter, on page 136, he says this. He says, now look at this as actual fruit you know this is the the season where i'm actually my wife is a master gardener i'm loving the trees the bushes the fruit trees i have a fig tree i've got uh, olive trees i have uh, it's such a pain in and out in the winter uh, a beautiful lilac tree i'm secure i can say that i love the lilac tree the dogwood Be beautiful colors so this is the type of year that i go out and i minister to them because i want to make sure they survive the spring uh, so <laughs> keep in mind actual fruit and spiritual fruit, and do, let's do the flip-flop. Let's do the crossover. It says, he says this, quote, Fruit grows in a climate blessed with an abundance of the Spirit and the Word. Walk in the Spirit means keep in step with the Spirit. Do not run ahead and do not lag behind. This involves the Word, prayer, worship, praise, and fellowship with God's people. It also means pulling out the weeds so that the seed of the word can take root and bear fruit. The Judaizers, Judaizers or the legalists were anxious for praise and vainglory, and this led to competition and division, again, in the church. Fruit can never grow in that kind of an atmosphere. 
we must remember that this fruit is produced to be eaten, not to be admired and put on display. Look what I can do. Okay, then do it and minister and bless somebody. Don't just say, look what I can do. You know what I'm saying? People around us are starving. And this is no more truthful than the area and the time we live in. People around us are starving for love, joy, peace, and all other graces of the Spirit. When they find them in our lives, they know that we have something they lack. We do not bear fruit for our own consumption. We bear fruit that others might be fed and helped and that Christ might be glorified. The flesh may manufacture results, and you'll, you'll see that too. You can go to a place where it's, it's forced. It's, well, you have to do this. Uh, uh, I'll just give you an example. Speaking in tongues is so abused. You, you, if you come here, you must speak in tongues. So people start to, blah, 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 and they, they babble because they feel like they are under pressure to do this, and it's not coming from God. So he says, the flesh may manufacture results that bring praise to us, but the flesh cannot bear fruit that brings glory to God. It takes patience and atmosphere of the Spirit, walking in the light, the seed of the Word of God, and a sincere desire to honor Christ. In short, the secret is the Holy Spirit. And what did Jesus say? For as much as you ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father will provide it to you. So we've come to the fifth chapter of Galatians, and now we have a practical understanding of how to function in this world as Christians. We've been given a spiritual thermometer, barometer, compass, really an honest way to look at ourselves, brothers and sisters, and to ask God to help to make the changes that He sees fit so that we can be used to His glory. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.